Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Good evening, Dr. Rapici. How are you? Ah, good evening, Dr. Falk. I'm very, very well. How are you, sir? I am very well, and we are here together on this Zoom chat to talk about uh, Clara and the Sun once more. Mm-hmm. Our our second episode on Kazuo Ishiguro's um, no- speculative fiction, speculative novel about an AI, a perfect AI, who becomes an artificial friend of the family. Yeah, and the uh, the plan for the evening, um, after much deliberation about how exactly to frame this, is what we're going to do is talk through the seven major characters, not terms, this is not book club, but the idea here is to discuss the human relationships with Clara and to see if we can't tease out explanations for or or uh sort of you know ideas for why it is that each of the human characters has such a different perspective on what Clara is and how welcome she should be or how how we should deal um with this presence does that sound well, about that sounds about right. I was about to add something to that and sort of take it or connect it even more directly to Ishiguro uh, and, and see if you would sign on to this. I think what we're really trying to do in talking about the characters, and some of the characters don't get scared, this is going to be the War and Peace episode, dear listener of uh, Critical Media Studies, because even though we're talking about the seven characters, some of the characters were, were able to talk about in pairs. And, and, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it isn't going to be seven full-length uh, character studies. But I think the purpose in a, of our discussion of thinking about the characters or thinking through the characters is what we're teasing out. I mean, I think we're trying to tease out what interests, I think, both of us the most about the book in that um, Ishiguru is a smart guy. Mm-hmm. Nobel Prize think, winner. Wonder, not all, maybe not all Nobel Prize winning winners for literature are smart, but I, we'll, give them the benefit, the benefit of the doubt, now. right? Yeah, yeah. You know, let's let's do that. But he seems to be an exceedingly smart person, and this is a little bit, um, a little bit off topic for him. Although, as we discussed last week, perhaps not completely off topic uh, for various reasons that probably will come up when we talk about the characters. Um, But also the big draw on this, something that's very interesting about this book and just doing research on this book. um, This is a a relatively recent novel, but there's still an incredible amount of secondary sources. And one of the reasons that are written on it, and one of the reasons for that is, and I'm getting back to sort of our purpose here, I think. Um, This is a speculative fiction about AI. And AI is the topic of the moment. And so I think what we're really trying to do in talking about these characters' relation to technology is we're trying to see if Kazuo Ishiguro has wisdom for us, I think. What we're trying to figure out is, you know, what is this insightful social critic telling us about the ways in which technology has been absorbed or adopted within the culture Mm -hmm. and what that might mean 
about the near future in which this novel is set. So I think the reason why there has been, and, you know, considering the recent coinage of the novel, the recent publication of the novel, to see that many academic sources beyond reviewers, book reviewers, or um, to see so many secondary sources and criticism, academic criticism of the book. I think it's because of this, because Ishiguro is, this is his statement about AI. And we're interested in wisdom well, I think <laughs> to guide just, us as we think about AI. Want, so I, that's I, I, what we're looking for. Yeah. I agree. And I sign off on that wholeheartedly. I think that part of the reason that this discussion is being taken up among academics, and this is something you and I had talked about last week, I believe, prior to recording, was that the book is very ambiguously set. It's set in the future, but not the far distant future. It's the now future. And it's set, you know, it seems to be set in the United States, but we're not 100% but sure. It, and I think not, the it's ambiguous. And, and I think that the argument in just the contextual argument that he's laying down is that this is here now. It's just one breath ahead. And I think a lot of the reasons, one of the reasons you're seeing so much uh, academic discourse around this is because, you know, it's, it's imminent. We're already starting to see it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so the, I think this is sort of the academic version of, Hey, let's get ahead of it so right. that we know right. who needs to right. talk about it and how right. they need to talk about it. Right. Um, so, you know, to my okay, enough prelude, enough prelude. I just yeah. wanted to set, set that up. Yeah. So, but, but I think that that, I, I think that that understanding is, is kind of important for how uh, we're going to group them together, quite sure. frankly. So there are, uh, to, to my count, we've got seven characters to discuss. Uh, we have Melania, the house, the housekeeper for, for Who is called Melania housekeeper. Right? Yes. Melania housekeeper. Um, here, here are the pairings that we're that, that we're going to put them on. So I'll give a quick just synopsis of the pairings that we're going to do and, and the reasons why we've paired them this way. So we've got Melania Housekeeper, who um, is a, um, well, Melania Housekeeper and Helen, Rick's mother. And the reason these are both women of a similar age um, and a similar class, I think, is fair to say. Similar socioeconomically there at least not among the privileged classes there seems to be a gap even though helen has obviously dropped in the class status there see, still seems to be more that's better said they're they're not capital yeah, yeah they are not of a privileged class right um the next grouping is going to be chrissy uh her ex-husband paul and then uh capaldi the uh, artist and engineer guy. Um, you have here three genetic characters. engineer, genetic engineer. Oh, 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 yeah, right. Were you? Oh, did I get you? I'm, I'm sorry. I think I, I messed you up there. Paul is an engineer, former engineer. Yes. And then Capaldi is a genetic engineer. Yes. And we're putting these three together because they are all three. Even though Paul doesn't seem to be as financially well off as Chrissy, right? He's right. been sort of what was what's the term? Um, Pre uh, or or post employed, post employment, post employed. Uh, we know that he was formerly of that class. Um, Absolutely. Right. So we have these three, and then we're going to finish up with the discussion of Rick and Josie, who, while they exist in different social orbits, um, 
the difference there, we, we could argue, comes down to Helen's finances and the ability to provide for Rick the way that Chrissy can provide for Josie. But he has the we, we know very well that he has the intellectual capacity to sure. be sure. a peer of Josie. So and there seems to be, you know, and talking about let me just add something to your description, which is, I think, correct about this similar in intellectual capacity. I think we would include in that similar create. I mean, the intellectual capacity isn't just like they would do both of them probably would do well on the SAT. You know, it isn't mm -hmm. just that it's that there seem to be like kindred intellectual, even aesthetic interests yeah, that yeah. the characters have in common. Yeah. Well, I, so let's save that until we we get to it but so um the 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 topic at hand i guess is if we look at these as three distinct groups they We're have to map out their relationship to yeah, clara right well not just map out the relationship i think mm -hmm. we really want to try and tease out the reasoning behind the relationship so let, let's just start like so for example milani housekeeper is... oh you know what if i may interrupt you i think you one thing we should do and though hopefully People listening to this episode heard the previous episode, but we probably should describe once more what Clara is. Can we do that quickly? Sure, go for it. Well, just just mentioned that Clara is the artificial friend, the perfect servant that has been purchased by Chrissy for Josie. Interestingly enough, there seems to be this received idea among the uh parents of lifted children there seems to be this fear and insecurity that while these children are privileged in regard to other the children of other classes there's a fear that they're more susceptible to both disease in the world of this novel but also to mental fragmentation and loneliness so one of the reasons why it's the reason that creates the artificial friend is that um, there is a sense that you are more prone, you you become more socially incapable the more you become economically privileged or the more lifted you are. So, so Clara becomes a sort of, you know, necessary accoutrement for the uh, the lives of these families in the, in these family situations. They stabilize, they're there for emotional sucker and they're they're necessary for that reason. Believe that's necessary. So let's let's start with uh melania housekeeper and helen um melania does not like josie does not trust josie but understands well what josie is and why josie's there mm -hmm. and um i think it's possible that we could look at her as merely being an overprotective nanny for a child who is sick and dying and does not trust anything from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side of this coin, we have Helen, who is a, in a former life, was a apparently an, a fairly successful actress, a stage actress, I believe, um, who has fallen on harder times. Um, and when she meets Josie, there's a great line about, I don't know how to talk to you. Do I treat you like a vacuum cleaner or, or how do I, you know, engage with you? What, what she doesn't understand what would be 
proper social decorum with essentially a robot and doesn't really seem to trust or distrust Josie so much as she wants to use Josie mm-hmm. to better her son's future, to, to, to increase the likelihood of his success without having to have him genetically modified or lifted. So, you, you know, what's, what's your, if we look at these two women, the things they have in common is, as we said, they are obviously not members of a privileged class. Do you think that that alone explains their sort of distance or reluctance to engage with Josie as if she were something more than a machine? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I I guess I have a reading that they, I guess according to my reading, there are di- they have different motivations. So I'll, let me run this by you. I'm going to start with the family uh, with Chrissy and Josie and the idea of what I think is behind Kazuo Ishiguro's presentation of the privileged families, of the families that can afford to lift their children. I think this is one place where Ishiguro's, this is a different subject as we remarked uh, for an Ishiguro novel, Artificial Intelligence, although he did have a novel about cloning, Never Let Me Go, another really fine sort of speculative fiction uh, novel. But throughout his oeuvre, right, Ishiguro has always been concerned about the problems of elites and the problems of um, social hierarchy. And he's often been very critical in his Nobel Prize speech uh, he has this wonderful phrase or powerful phrase. I don't know whether it's wonderful, but it's certainly powerful, where he talks about the quote unquote savage meritocracies that rule us. Now, that's a real, I mean, meritocracy, as we know in America, uh, we don't, we're, we're hesitant to affix, you know, that description to a meritocracy because those who rise in a meritocracy, they rise because of their own value. Um, but it, with Ishiguro, he's always suspected that those who rise up from their bootstraps um, and become a privileged class, and uh, that their privileged classes tend to reinforce their own privilege. Now, this seems like a digression, but I think I think it's kind of a necessary, to me, it's a necessary way to figure out what's going on with these particular characters. So I think there's a general critique in this novel of Chrissy and Josie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not well, just say Chrissy and Peter. There's a general critique Paul. what happened, Paul, and a general critique of the privileged classes in the sense that, and the, the critique is privileged classes tend to reinforce their own privilege. Mm-hmm. So, now to directly answer your question, I think with Melania, because she has furthest distance from this particular class in the novel, right? I think I would, I think I'm fair to say that she seems to be on the, I mean, the two characters you're talking about, they exist on, you know, they're further down the class ladder in relation in the, in relation to uh, Chrissy. 
So I think that Melania's motivation uh, for Clara is, I don't think Ishiguro, I think Ishiguro feels that that is a quote unquote, very human emotion. She's doing her job. She has this human affection for another human in her charge. And so work and emotions kind of combine. And I would say that Melania is protective, is skeptical of Clara, mainly because not because of her ideology for or against technology, but just because she's protective of Clara because she is the most quote unquote human character in the novel. Now with Helen, I think it's interesting. I think, to me at least, I think it's interesting. You're still, you're not in the privileged classes with Helen. We're we're told that Helen and Rick live, you know, they're next door neighbors to Josie and and Chrissy. But we're told that they live in a kind of rundown house. And that they're, and, and of course, Helen cannot afford to lift Rick. Or... Uh, It's like they live parallel lives, but the house is a little smaller, a little little smaller, a little more down. So it's 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 a half step down. Okay, and and then I'll I'll wrap it up. Then I can wrap it up. Yeah, wrap this up here. That um, so she's further. Helen is further up the class ladder than Milani. Yes, yes. Not anywhere near. Not near Chrissy, but as you said, parallel lives. Nearer to Chrissy than she is to Melania. I think I and so now I'm going to return to that passage you mentioned about the uh, about the, uh, you know, is this a vacuum cleaner or not? I actually think, you know, her, I think that's a kind of resolute class snobbery. I think that's a kind of sm- submerged class snobbery that you have in Helen that you don't have in Melania. And it's motivated by, there is a sense that if Helen could be privileged, she would be privileged. And so I think you're getting, I I think you have a genuine edge in there. I agree with everything. I think that there's an interesting aspect and I think it is a class aspect and class in terms of not being a part of that elevated class that unites Melania Housekeeper and Helen. Right. As you said, Melania is very wary of Josie to begin with, but I think you hit it on the head. It's not that she's skeptical of the technology. She's doing two things. One, she's looking after her charge. And two, there's probably an element of this is my job to be with her. I right. have to to watch right. this. What's right. interesting is that there comes a point where Josie goes off to see Capaldi and Melania is not able to go. And she, I don't want to say she befriends Josie, but she, or excuse me, Clara, but she connects with Clara and she says, you watch, you're good at observing, you observe, keep Josie safe, right? So in this way, she's using Clara as a as a, she, she's using, she is engaging with Clara for what Clara can do. In, in a coarse way, she's using Clara as a tool, right? Similarly, Helen is, the vacuum scene is just, is great for this because it shows that Helen isn't sure what to do with yeah, Josie. Right, Whereas right. if Chrissy knows exactly what to do with Josie, Paul knows exactly what to do with, like all of the other adults here, 
understand what Josie is and and, and engage with her accordingly. Helen's just not sure. And I think that she- Did you mean she, Clara? Did you mean Clara? No, Josie. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know why I keep doing that. They both engage, all, all Chrissy, Paul, and Capaldi all engage with Clara because they know what Clara can do. Yes, right. Helen sees an opportunity to, like, like Melania, use Clara as a tool, yeah, cool. essentially. Cool. And so- both of, but but the the I think the thing that's interesting about both of these characters is that because of their ignorance for what Clara really is, mm -hmm. right? Using mm -hmm. Clara as a tutor is kind of the equivalent of buying a really expensive computer to play solitaire on, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're yes, it can do it, but it does so much more. They do not have any concerns as Paul does about the potential dangers or problems. They don't have any grand ambitions as Capaldi mm -hmm. does mm -hmm. for the capacity. They are limited in their ability. Mm -hmm. And so their fears about this technology are very much first person egocentric fears. They're mm -hmm. not uh, in Melania's case, right? They're not social fears. And their desires and abilities to use Clara are limited by that. So mm -hmm. the degree to which they embrace her is really very narrow, single-minded, single-purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And I, uh, I, and I think that's a class thing. I yeah. just want real quick. I, I think that's I a class thing. I agree. And so the, I think the non-literary analog to that, right? might be a lot of these, I don't know, smart speakers or whatever that we use and we don't think about the larger potential for harm or the data gathering that's done, whether it's for good or for evil. You know, it's just, oh, it does this single thing for me. Right. Fine. I have a limited scope and a limited view of what that is. I think that the, so the next group, if, should we move on to the next group? Because I think I, I just wanted to add one quick thing to what you said. I, yeah. I really like what you said. And um, I would say that perhaps, perhaps Chrissy is even, you know, interestingly enough, Chrissy's decision to allow uh, or to buy an AF for Josie, of course, is the thing that gets the plot rolling. But in a way, her, her um her motivation is is exactly what you're saying i mean it could not be more limited it is a totally a use value thing it's that my daughter might be lonely and then we find out i won't give any way any spoilers but we also find out that chrissy doesn't want to be alone and she is motivated by a fear of loneliness and that's all that clara is to chrissy that's all Clara is. She is a tool that is, I am a rich person who worries that I am lonely and my child is lonely. But there's a big difference. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, no, I, I I agree with you. And, and so Chrissy's a really interesting bridge. Maybe we'll use her as the, the, the segue uh -huh. to talk about Paul Capaldi. Because yes, absolutely. She has a, a single, she has a dual use for Clara, mm -hmm. right? But unlike, oh, maybe you can tutor 
my kid or, oh, you're very observant, so go watch. Mm -hmm. She is asking a much greater, much more complicated thing of Josie. Mm. So she at least has a very clear understanding of what Josie can do. Or you mean Clara? God, why do I do that? I'm so sorry, everyone. I, we, Clara, um, she has a much clearer understanding of what Clara can do. And we see this from the beginning because when she they go into the store to buy Clara, mm -hmm. she asks Clara to do a number of things. Mm -hmm. And again, in the interest of not providing too many spoilers, which I think we may have to do anyways, um, that, that sort of betray her larger purpose here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that sort of tendency to focus on the the micro but mm -hmm. she's at least aware that this is an incredible oh i oh powerful yeah to the, to the helen too. yeah sure. to a degree that helen and joe and, and melania sure, just absolutely. don't don't oh, sure don't, don't bother themselves with yeah absolutely and i don't think i think it's important maybe to notice it's not that melania or helen aren't aware of clara's incredible capabilities or her complexities it's that they just don't concern themselves with it. Mm -hmm. And so again, I, but I, I, I think of that as a, as a class distinction that Ishiguro is drawing. So, um, shall we talk Chrissy Paul and Capaldi? Okay. I, I, I butchered our introduction to Milani and Helen. So do you, do you want to start? Like, how do you see these three? What's, What's the the nature of this discussion here? Well, uh, you probably are, you've already talked about Chrissy. Should we yeah. talk about Paul? Um, Our post-employed ex-husband here? Well, Paul's really, golly, it's so complex. I think I'm going to need your help to discuss Paul. And so let me, let me opt out and do the simpler one. Let's talk about Capaldi. Okay. And then maybe you will help me sort of talk through Paul. With Capaldi, he is we the sketch artist who turns out to be a genetic a scientist, turns mm -hmm. out to be interested in and a capable it doing research in genetic engineering. And has these I, I won't be too specific about what he's doing, but just to answer our question, he turns out to be a, a sign he is defined, he defines himself by his scientific quest. He is a character who sort of is the spokesperson for science and uh, is positive about the, and, and in fact, has a progressive view of the future. He's fascinated with Clara, but because he feels that Clara is a sort of harbinger of a, this incredible technological, technologically perfect world that we're on the edge of, or th this particular future society is about to enter into. So, um, Clara is, I guess, he has this incredibly positive attitude toward Clara because he both understands her potential as technology and he believes in the possibility of technology to enable, well, basically technology will enable techno, um, social perfection. And I don't know if I have more to say than that. Or no, yeah. you have a different reading. No, I, th I think that's right. I think that he has a much more, you know, so he exists, I think, first of all, in a morally, in a very, or ethically, in a very gray area. Mm -hmm. And 
is willing to do so in the name of science and progress in his eyes. And yes, has a that's very, very well very, put. Very full and very optimistic understanding of what this sort of, of what technology like Clara is capable of. Not to the degree that we can now cheat death or push, but but that we can introduce an element of, if not perfection, near perfection in into society. And this is very exciting to him. Paul, Josie's father, Chrissy's ex-husband, is an engineer of some sort who we assume is a member of this elevated class, at least intellectually, um, is sort of the flip he's side. He's been excluded by it, but he's because, been also because he's sort been of left behind. But, but because he's been marginalized by it, really. Yes, right, right. Right. So these technologies have put him out of work, essentially. And now he lives in a com some sort of commune. And um, so I think that Paul exists in a similar place as Capaldi. Mm -hmm just without the moral or ethical ambiguity that Capaldi's willing to embrace. He's very concerned. Well, Michael, I think you totally summed up the differences between the characters uh, that I was I was sort of struggling with, but I think you turned it into some, a very lucid proposition. Capaldi embraces and feels unambiguous about scientific progress. And partly because Paul has been left behind he has the same education and was part of the same class. And it was um, and is an expert engineer. Um, and pro-science. And pro-science to an extent, but not to the extent that somebody like Capaldi is. So that he is his, um, I was going to read a passage here that sort of, kind of sums up all these tensions and ambiguities that I think we see in Paul that we don't see in Capaldi. But you know what's interesting about Paul? Uh -huh. And this just occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Paul, despite his hesitancy mm -hmm. about what these technologies might mean, mm -hmm. and you can certainly make the argument that he's hesitant because Capaldi's project hits so incredibly host you know, close to home mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. But he is wary. At the same time, he's willing to indulge Clara on her mission to please mm -hmm. the sun. I mean, mm -hmm. the, it's a weird contradiction to have mm -hmm. an engineer who is wary of science's creation because of its potential. Mm -hmm but then at the same time is willing to indulge that creation on a mythical quasi-religious quest mm -hmm. to appease the sun. Mm -hmm. um, he's a strange character. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, in looking at, in looking at him juxtaposed against Capaldi. Mm -hmm. See, I think it's easy to exclude Chrissy from this discussion for two reasons. One, Chrissy has a maternal instinct that the other two aren't wrestling with. And two, Chrissy is not a person of science. She doesn't have 
the appreciation good for good or for bad of the machine mm-hmm. that these two have. So, you know, in a sense, I think that Capaldi and Paul are like the characters behind the curtain. And mm-hmm. one is saying, you know, onward we charge. And the other one is saying, ah, I'm not really a hundred percent sure that this is a good idea. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this is a bad, potentially sick idea. Mm-hmm. But then he's willing to let that machine lead him to break the law and indulge the machine in its own religiosity. I mean, it's a he's a very strange character. I'm as I'm very talking this through, I'm trying to figure out where Ishiguro is coming down here. I mean, certainly he has an eye for the people who are um pro, you know, pro-science uh in the name of progress. What well, this you, may be it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm you, I just I don't know what to make of Paul. I thought I did, but now I don't. Well, I think that uh, this may be a Yatesian uh, moment on Ishiguru's uh, part. This idea that the best people lack all conviction. That um, is precisely because he's intelligent, because he comes from the privileged class, but is disaffected from it, that he's all over the place. He has no convictions of himself. He questions his own convictions. And so his actions are confusing because his convictions are confusing because he's confused in his relationship to the leading ideas that he used to believe in. So maybe that, maybe that's the reason for these contradictions. So is it, is it enough for him to just say, I'm not sure. I don't think he realizes how uncertain he is would be how I put it. Did that make any sense? I think that's right. No, I think that's right because he's willing to go along with Clara. Right, which would right. indicate a sort of—I don't—I don't want to say lack of conviction because he's very convicted. I just don't think he understands the impact or the way no. that his—I I don't think that he understands or that he has a means of acting on his convictions. He's not sure what that looks like. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> the best. Okay. <laughs> no, no, and I mean, I'm, I'm saying, sh- I, 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 if you, did you hear skepticism in my? No, sure? no, 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 not at all. Um, I just, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a puzzling perspective, but it's, 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 it, it makes sense. Well, I mean, the Yates, the Yates, um, quote. What I like about the Yates quote is that we tend to think of somebody. I mean, I think this is sort of relevant to your, your point. Uh, we tend to think. I mean. Usually when we say you lack conviction, um, that's a diss. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you don't have any beliefs. You don't have any core. Um, you don't have any core beliefs and you're acting like a mess and you must be a mess because only, you know, true, true, whatever. They always are very clear. Truly intelligent people are or whatever. Truly good people are always sure of their convictions. And Yates, by by saying the best lack all conviction. Now that that was sort of a judgment of his of Ye- on Yates's part of his particular period. But what I like about that phrase is it reminds you that sometimes for amazing motives or for very understandable historical reasons, the best and brightest minds could be in this situation where they're contradicting themselves, where they do things that don't that they are not 
comfortable with and they cannot fully understand, especially that I'm thinking about this, especially in relation to Clara. You're right. It doesn't make any sense that he would support Clara and her theological beliefs when he says at one point, I think Dr. Capaldi is right uh, in his quest for science. And I don't believe that human beings have any uniqueness. So at one point, Paul basically says, I'm with the kind of materialistic view that um, that uh, Capaldi espouses. And at the same time, he abets, aids and abets uh, Clara on her quasi-religious quest. But, you know, that's a contradiction. But maybe it's a contradiction that shows his character rather than shows his lack of character. I like it. I like it. Shall we move to our final pairing? Sure. The kids, the center of the novel. Sure. Uh, Rick and Josie. The differences here uh, on the surface are very clear. They are younger. Um, they are of different social classes, but because they're both dependents, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter in the sense that it's not that... Um, well, their parents well, are making their choices about their technology. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I don't see the class difference here being oh, 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 right. being being as significant. So I'll give you an, like the, earlier. You said that they have similar intellectual um, pursuits. There's the great scene where Rick goes into Josie's room and she draw or he draw she draws and he fills in the, the thought bubbles. They're able to. Despite the fact that they're from different classes, they are able to intellectually collaborate mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and work. Um, everybody feels that Rick is intelligent enough mm -hmm. to gain access to college. And then they're going to be, you know, they, they have this romantic dream that keeps them together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what's interesting here, right, is that Clara is purchased for Josie. Mm -hmm. Josie sees Clara and is instantly mm -hmm. taken with her, says, I'll come back for you, and then mm -hmm. does. So what you don't have is the reluctance that Melania Housekeeper had. Mm -hmm. You don't have the view of Josie as a tool that Melania comes to develop mm -hmm. and that Helen has. And there isn't ever a concern with Clara's potential in the way that Chrissy Paul okay. and Capaldi have. Sure, sure. Chrissy is just able to That's a great me, point. Josie is just able to slide into her relationship to Clara very naturally. Right. Rick is also able to accept Josie in the sense that her presence doesn't rattle him. It, it, it's not bizarre or strange to him, but he's strangely ambivalent towards her. You know, so I think if, if we look at Clara as the new toy, mm -hmm. Josie's super excited, super welcoming. Um, and Rick is sort of indifferent. So there's my introduction for these two how like what where do you want to begin this part of our little discussion what do you what what are your thoughts like why the distinction why is it that Josie and Rick have such a different opinion is it just ownership is Josie excited because Clara is hers 
Um, tell me quickly what your your feeling of the distinction between the two is. I don't know if I quite caught it. So just that Rick is indifferent to Josie. Indifferent and to Josie. No, God, to why am I doing that? Rick is indifferent to Clara. He's not, he's neither impressed nor put off. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if Clara could be Josie's new calculator. He doesn't care. He doesn't see her as a means to opportunity. He doesn't see her as anything. Right. You but know? he, so I get, I guess I have a question for you that maybe will allow me to give an answer to, uh, to the question of where Clara sits in both of these characters' uh, lives. How do you explain the fact, you're right, he's indifferent to her, and he's certainly indifferent to the idea that Clara has any potential, uh, either for progressing the human race or technology or anything like that. Um, but why, why does he befriend, by, befriend her? I mean, or do you think he befriends Clara? See, I... He seems to help her out like Paul. He helps her out on the quasi theological quest. Does that count as a he does so that he does count two for things. something or he, are you helps... are you discounting that? No, no, not at all. He helps Josie. Oh, he helps Clara in her theological quest. He also helps Clara in that really awkward moment at the lifted party mm -hmm. where the kids are treating Clara mm -hmm. as a full-on machine. Machine. So he affords Clara a measure of dignity. Mm -hmm. So I, I think at the first part, he, he is willing to, I think that in Rick's eyes, Clara is clearly not human. She's not a person. But I think that he views her as more than a glorified toaster. It's like he yes, he, he, does. Right. he, he right. has a, a degree of empathy for right. her. Right. Um, I think that his willingness to help Josie, God, his willingness to help Clara on her religious quest is rooted in the same sort of optimism that paul has like if this will help yeah. josie i will do it sure, and sure. i think that in both cases i think that in paul's case and i think in rick's case there is this sort of belief you know we talked earlier about the af being sort of perfection mm -hmm. falsely personified here right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. i think that maybe there's this underlying belief that the machines aren't wrong mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. that the machine might not be wrong. So if mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Clara was just, if Clara was a cousin from out of town that was staying for a while and said, Hey, I need to go on this pilgrimage for the sun. I have every confidence that Rick would be like, you're a kook. Go hang out in the barn. If you want, I don't care. Similarly, I think Paul would say, look, if you want to go ahead and vandalize the machinery, that's your business, but I'm staying out of it. There's this belief that there's this belief in the potential of perfection or the Well, that's interesting. That's really that's a really interesting observation. That's a really interesting observation. What's your take? Um uh, well, uh, thank you for that. 
uh, not only is that a very interesting observation, I had not thought of this idea that the perfectibility, the um, technological progressivism of somebody like um, Sarah. Oh no, I'm thinking of the geneticist, and now I'm Capaldi. Having, I'm going to call it. Or, I'm, going to call, I'm going to start calling Paul. <laughs> now I'm going to start calling Capaldi Josie. Um, no, um, it's interesting. I think that's a really interesting insight to say that that technological progressivism, in a sense, might be kind of latent in Rick, and certainly it's latent in Paul. Right? That maybe the maybe the technology is right. Let, let but, me let me introduce you. Want to interrupt you? Okay, for a I'm sorry. I think it's important to note that Rick, uh -huh. as a character, though, mm -hmm. despite the fact that he's not lifted, has mm -hmm. developed this drone system. He is not. Oh yeah, right. unfamiliar with robotics or right. the technology. So, right. Right. I, I think it's important to say he's vest. He's in. He's invested into this. So it makes. I think a bit, he is not unlike Paul in the sense that he has this, a mind. He's an this. engineer. Yes, yes. Right. He has an engine and mind as, yeah, you're right. No, that's, that's also right. And now, but now I think I'm able to answer my, your, your general question about, so where does Josie fit in this in relation to Rick? Um, I think what you really nicely done is sort of un uncovered the ways, illuminated the ways in which Rick is part of this technological progressivism. In a way that may, you know, I think first time readers of the novel might kind of fit. Now I'm going to end the episode with my bombshell, or it may not be a bombshell. I wonder if you have this feeling. So you asked me about Josie. Mm -hmm. I think that Josie in every respect is um, a non-character in the sense that she has almost no affect or empathy. Uh, that even Rick's qualified or grudging respect for Clara uh, is more earnest and more full of affect than anything Josie does. I think Josie's friendship from Cl with Clara is uh, is empty, is portrayed as a total emptiness, which makes Clara's machine empathy for Josie all the more poignant is that I think that for a lot of reasons, um, Josie is presented in my reading as emotionally stunted and incapable of caring about anybody. And so one of the poignant elements of the book is that Clara has the Clara, the machine, the AF has more affection for Josie than Josie is capable of feeling not only toward Clara, but toward any of the characters. So I'm going to, hmm, I want to push back. I on say that. this, I say this, uh, knowing that you will push back on no, it. Well, so because he, I have an extreme reading of Josie. But no, but it's, that's really fascinating because if, so if you look at Josie's relationships, Josie's relationships with Melania, Josie's relationship with Melania, for example, right. is non-existent. I think that Josie looks at Melania as someone Furniture. who helps around the house. That's it. Furniture. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. I think that she does have an emotional connection with her mother, though. That is real. And, but I wonder if on some level, I think Josie also, doesn't yeah, suspect the plan all along. Sure. Sure. And, oh, and, and, and then go ahead. 
finish. I, I had a comment on there, but if you need to. No, I just, I, I wonder if on one hand, she just sort of says, well, okay, I have this really fun new mm-hmm. toy slash friend who will um, simulate a real relationship for me. But this is and my lot. you can't lot. even do that. Yeah. Yeah, go but ahead. This, th- but this is my lot. This is where I am. And because she's not so, emo- because she's not at all mm-hmm. emotionally invested, mm-hmm. she's gone. Now, here's here's a question for you, though. I wonder if Josie's complete willingness to embrace the idea of having an AF mm-hmm. and her inability to really emotionally connect I wonder if those two are related. Like, oh, yeah. does, does your ability to huh. accept this artificial friend as your live-in full-time confidant, you know, is this possible because she is emotionally disconnected? You know, she has this, this thing for Rick that predates Clara. But once Clara comes into the picture and we face forward and the story moves forward, Rick is really a residual character. He's hanging on. I agree. I agree. But there's no sense. And when he, you know, when she, when she goes on, there's no hoopla about it. And, you know, we get this Obviously, you know, Clara narrates the story. So we get this from Clara's perspective, but Clara doesn't even question it. It's almost like this becomes a mathematical thing at the end that I'm wondering if those two are related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, um, I don't know. I, do you really think that Clara's just a, mo- or God, now I'm, now I've lost Josie and everybody becomes Clara. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you really think that Josie, Josie is completely detached? I, I think that she's been damaged by her relationship with her mother. Yeah, I, I, I hear something. You know, is she, well, I, is it, let me ask you this. Sorry to interrupt you, but is she damaged by her relationship with the mother or is she damaged by the fact that she's been lifted? Or are those two one the same? How do you separate those two? And I was about to say, that, you know, you mentioned about the, the, she does, you know, I would not deny that she has feelings toward her mother and including love. You know, I'm I, I'm not saying that. Um, but I do think that the love is incredibly intermingled with fear and apprehension and anxiety. It's exacerbated by the fact that she's been sick and is and understands herself as being close to death. Fear. And so so I feel that the love and fear, I think love and fear are battling in, in terms of love, in terms of Chrissy. I think she both loves and fears her. And, you know, in the, in the battle, in the mono and mono match between love and fear, fear eventually wins out. So fear, apprehension, anxiety, and emotional disconnect as prerequisites for full immersion with an artificial friend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of his point. And again, uh, the brilliance of this initial guru's part is that this is a kind of um, in the field of a novel, this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, costuming your characters on a stage so that one character is, 
you know, designed to be a foil for the other character. I feel that Josie and Clara are foils. And it, everything is going on around us and we sort of distracted from that. But I think they're foils and that Clara, ha I mean, this is where we really see the the poignancy of her, her Clara's one abiding emotion, one abiding thought is to be of service to the character she loves. And it's, and that wholehearted, eventually theological, like, you know, salvific um, search, uh, salvific uh, quest to save Josie. I think it's put in stronger relief by the fact that Josie doesn't, um, doesn't know how to relate to humans, period. Let so alone you, that's, that's, and that's, it's funny because that's the one thing that keeps popping up around the ability for a an invention such as Clara to be effective or viable. The one, the problem that kept popping up in the articles that we had read around this was about, you know, something like an artificial, an artificial friend or just even an algorithmic representation of empathy or emotional connection. Like you can't, um, you can't create that with ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, Barry, good job. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. Um, a dispiriting way to close, I suppose. Oh, this is how we have to ring out the old year. This is how we ring out 23. We'll come back in 24 with all sorts of optimism yeah. and sunshine. Optimism and, and sunshine. Well, thank you, sir. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the conversation as always. And uh and I'll see and I'll see and I enjoyed it as well. And I'll see you soon, Michael. You Thanks got again. It. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.